Cool. All right, I'm down. Yeah, no, talk let's about do that it. Stuff. I'm, I'm cool with that. I think that'll be that's out of the way. <laughs> it only took that. That took half the show. <laughs> yeah, look at the time, Dan. <laughs> well, it only took us an hour to get to starting the show. <laughs> close, oh boy, we are not um, organized today. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. Sounds good. Releasing when it's ready. Okay, let's finally get the show on the road. Woohoo! Coming up in this episode, releasing when it's ready. Exploitation remotely, exploitation locally. Name changes and mergers and Kali as we see it today. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 10. I barely have enough fingers for it. Of Linux user space, I'm Leo. And I'm Dan. Leo, we... we Dan! We, midterms, 10. This is yet yeah, we hit midterm. This is it. This is the halfway point of the show before we go on break again to have a little breather from all the digging and uh uh you know yeah exactly on the internet. <laughs> Man, I I sure am glad that the internet and archive.org and all that other kind of stuff exists. I know. Yeah, it would uh, make this show a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, this show would be the, the show would be way shorter mm-hmm. for sure. And we speaking of releasing when it's ready, like yeah. we, we had to postpone the recording for a day. We did, yeah. Because the script was not ready. It was not ready. So but in that in the theme of releasing when it's ready, Dan, I know you've been keeping your eyeballs all over the uh the Fedora thing. Because you mentioned the open SSL issue, and I had no idea that the Fedora thirty seven release date being put on hold was as a direct result of a bug in open SSL. I did not know this. Yeah, so at least the last uh delay was put to that anyway. So this latest open SSL bug, nobody really had knowledge of how bad it was or what it was exactly. They they were keeping that kind of close to the vest um mm-hmm. you know so the you know bug didn't get released and exploited in the wild before well yeah before they um, could patch it right yeah open ssl underpins like you know everything most uh <laughs> most of the internet probably yeah, I, yeah I think if you're on point. the internet open ssl is you know it's a big part of your life you just don't see it mm-hmm. everything everything kind of makes that happen seamlessly in the background which is why the internet works in the first place but so yeah it's important so it's very important. because of that fedora really wanted to get the fix in in the release before they released rather than to have to do an over-the-air patch in case it was super bad so that it was just right in the iso ready to go and so yep. that's the latest delay anyway. So they decided that 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 last target was November 1st. And then this next one is now going to be released on the 15th. So right. they say. And so so the timeline, because I've, I've, I've been very excited about Fedora 37, not super excited about the whole Mesa AMD Intel oh, yeah, right. not getting codecs thing. But um, 
Uh, I was hoping the early target was going to get hit on October 18th. That's It's not normal that they hit the early target. So, you know, that was yeah. me just being wishful. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was I was very excited for October 25th, yeah, which was, was the original target. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, uh, November 1st was the first extended target. And then now, November 15th, as a result of the OpenSSL bug, is the new target. Yep. So you'll you'll hear this episode before... Fedora 37 yeah. gets its release. I mean, you know, you know, if you're if you're keeping up with this show, you're probably listening to this on December 3rd. Maybe. Um, and you'd have to go back in time a little bit. A and, little bit. You know, think about how this went. <laughs> so I, I I've I've not witnessed I, I've seen Fedora delay before. I yeah, don't know if I've seen them delay this many times. Well, or this, oh, far? Th- this thing was scary. This is it this is, is a a far reaching and it touches everything. It does. I mean, if you're dealing with encryption, there's a good chance mm-hmm. that OpenSSL is somewhere in the mix and having something that could just. Um, I, th- I think you mentioned denial of service is is uh, yep. kind of the result. Yeah, it's, of... a, it's a buffer overrun, which results in a denial of service because your machine right. gets overwhelmed. But it wasn't even known that that was what was going to happen. You know, with with the breakage, they it just said it was critical, and then it turns out right. Well, it's not really critical, but it's very high. And they said, you know, the release will be out on Tuesday. Everybody, clear your calendar. Like, yeah, you're gonna have to go patch all your machines. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we know it's not it's as not as egregious yep. as 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 initially thought. But I think Fedora did the right thing in pumping the brakes because yep. it was coming up to a release. Pumping the brakes on that so that the ISO that you get. And that that gets widely distributed. Yeah, um, isn't floating around out there with a, a pretty big bug. So now it's just a big bug, not a pretty big bug. Uh, but still, I I, uh, I appreciate that they pumped the brakes on that, even though uh, it likely hurts perception a little bit. Yeah, um, I appreciate that 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 they have that uh, release it when it's ready mentality. Yeah, I like that too. And and Fedora is great about pushing out updates too, but. I feel like there, there's potential for someone just to install this and never update it. So, I mean, you really uh, want the fix you know. in there, I feel like. So, I mean, it's, right. it's, there's it, always, there's always that group of people. There is. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's a, it's released every nine months. So, you know, it's out there for long enough for bad things to happen potentially. So I'd like getting the fix in there before the final release and, and making sure everybody's safe and uh, no, no bad stuff's going to happen. Better safe than sorry. Absolutely. Obviously. Speaking of releasing when it's ready, mm-hmm. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and not in a bad way, in a very uh, I need this in my life kind of way. Yep. Uh, elementary OS 7 is getting close. And now it's a bit of a, a you know, kind of cleanup time. Yep. So maybe this month, and, you know, this month being November, we're going to see. Uh, a release of Elementary OS Seven. I'm super excited for it. I feel like this it's, is pretty close to the normal cadence for them. It is because, like you know, the the LTS release of Ubuntu came out in April, and it's like you know, right about now is when the, the hype starts to build up a little bit, and then you know, mm-hmm. you know, they'll have release candidates and stuff soon. So it feels right on target, honestly. But like you said, they don't release it until they feel it's ready to go. So, yeah, whatever whatever release candidate or beta that they put out, I feel very confident. The same as I do with Mint mm-hmm. that um when they put something out for the public, even though it's a release candidate right. or it's beta, I mean, 
the software, I think, the the way that they put that together is is so well done in the first place. Yeah, there'll be bugs. Yes, we we get that. But that um, I feel confident throwing on that beta onto a system and just hey, when the final release comes out, it comes out. I'll update and you know, I'll be on the final release. Right. But I, I really, uh, I'm I'm really confident in their skills to be able to say that a beta is release worthy right, or right. daily driver worthy so that's why i'm excited about it yeah they do put a lot it's of gotta polish be really on it cool. and uh i think that's a good thing too yeah and i mean embracing the flat hub making sure you get all your apps obviously the app center where i mean yeah. folks go to get paid which is awesome especially for open source um yeah speaking of getting paid right like you got the early access if you want to try that yep. right now uh, ten bucks a month on GitHub will get you those early ISOs. Um, and what I thought was really cool, and um, and uh, Daniel Foray mentioned the NixOS Pantheon maintainer helping out with some Pantheon bugs, yeah, that some is cool. regressions that slipped through the cracks. Right? Um, who would have thought NixOS coming in clutch to make sure Pantheon's the best it can be on release? What a cool! I think that's little neat. happenstance. Yeah, that's super nice. And I like, I, I just like that elementary OS is, is really just a distribution focused on fit and finish. Yes. I mean, a, a lot of time, a lot of words, a lot of, a lot of time is spent and oxygen is consumed about, well, what's the base of that? And what does that actually mean? Right. And, you know, how much time can we spend talking about things that don't even really matter to the particular distribution? I like that elementary OS is kind of aside from that. And the product is, the desktop, the way you get your software, yep. and the feel, the look and the feel of how that works. Not a lot of distros, I think, rise to the level of fit and finish that Elementary OS does. I would agree and, with that. You know, you know, outside of the waiting with bated breath, this is one of this is one of the biggest reasons that I'm waiting for it because it just feels so nice when you use it. Yeah, along with that fit and finish. The the they they talk about redesigning the icons and oh, and it's gonna look good. They, they looked good before, and I don't know that this is like a radically different change. I mean, they're still in the same sort of genre, if you will, but they look they look super nice. They're at least the ones they've shown uh, oh, yeah. on on the blog post. Um, so I mean, it just it just adds to it. It just adds to the the, yeah. the finish. So, looking forward to both of those. We'll have a couple of links uh, in the show notes. If you like what we're doing here, make sure to send us a buck or two or, you know, over at the patreon.com slash Linux user space. Um, we really appreciate our patrons. Well, not just appreciate. We love our patrons. And, mm. um, you know, you get you get perks if you're a patron. Uh, you get invited to the live studio on recording mm -hmm. day so you can listen to it live. You get early access to, you know, the whole thing if you can't quite make it live even. And by the way, this episode, that mm -hmm. was an hour. An hour. We did an hour before we even started content. the episode. Yeah. That that doesn't really ever see the light of day. It doesn't. No. Uh, it's, it's for them, for the special folks. Absolutely. <laughs> there, there is so much value in that. I can't, you know, you got to subscribe. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do join it. to to get part of that. So, and hey, it helps pay for server costs yep. and editing costs and everything else. Yeah, so, you know, you know that you know, that, that, that feed that, that distribution in in the podcast, like that, 
that all those things makes it nice and smooth and we get it delivered right to your user space. Cannot complain. Also, if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, go ahead, do that. That's good too. You know, youtube.com slash Linux user space. You know, ding the bell, get the notifications. A website named remote-exploit.org was born in September of 2001, backed by Max Moser. He described it as all the security text, tools, links that we collect or will collect in the future will be collected in here, if it's possible. The people behind remoteexploit.org are some security-interested individuals that found each other. We try to bring exclusives when possible and try to bring some smiles and light into the dark world of hacking and security. Following that, the next year, Mutz Online was started as a forum around 2002 by Mati Aharoni, a.k.a. Mutz. It was dedicated to showing folks the offensive and defensive sides of network and application security. Everything from penetration testing to securing and hardening your stuff to rainbow tables and hashing algorithms. It changed names to secureit.co.il in mid-2003 and in early 2004, whitehat.co.il. On the site, it says, This site aims to create a repository of tools and information for penetration testers and ethical hackers. In 2004, May 20th, Max Moser releases Auditor Security Collection at his company's website, moser-informatic.ch, as a penetration testing distribution fitted with all the tools an auditor would likely need. In late 2004, whitehat.co.il closed its doors to new registration as the administrative burden was too high. Too many people wanted in, and there weren't enough folks on the back end to deal with it. But around that time, in mid-October, Whopix 2.4, based on Nopix 3.6, was released. It stood for White Hat Nopix and was released as a standalone penetration testing toolkit by none other than Mutz himself, with a long list of companions including SkyDriver for the original idea, Illwill for perfecting and pushing it out, and of course his dog, George. In 2005, on July 7th, Mutz announces that Wapix has evolved into a new project, Wax, as it hit version 3. And as the name implies, it's based on Slacks, a live-booting Slackware derivative. It was modular in all the right ways. It allowed more freedom to make easy customization of the Slacks environment and almost instantaneous updating of the live boot media. Back over at remoteexploit.org, Max Moser is just as busy since the Auditor Security Collection is issuing release after release. It's a similar project to WAX that describes itself as the Swiss Army knife for security assessments. Based on Nopix itself, it avoided the idea of all that modularity and experimentation and didn't quite have the list of applications and features, but what it did have was structure and stability. As 2005 is coming to a close in September, both Moser and Aharoni had made the decision to merge the two projects. 
But there's one problem. They need a name. Something that, as they put it, didn't sound too hackish. They put it to the community that had been swirling since the early 2000s. After much planning over the next few months, on May 26th, 2006, the two projects finished the merger and became Backtrack. The distro was based on Slacks rather than Nopics to take advantage of the modularity that Wax was already enjoying. Additionally, a company backing the Backtrack Linux distribution is born. Its name? Offensive Security. And at the time, was simply a spin-off of Moser's RemoteExploit.org with the purpose of creating online training sessions that will teach newcomers how things work. Aharoni was a lead instructor, and Moser did instruction and research as he was already well-established with his site RemoteExploit.org. The training culminated into a standardized test, the OSCP, or the Offensive Security Certified Professional, that you can still take today. March 7th of 2007, Backtrack 2 is released, with a focus on bringing Metasploit versions 2 and 3 and working on the layout of the distribution itself. A beta for Backtrack 3, where lots of kernel testing happened, was issued mid-December, but Backtrack 3 wasn't released until June 19th of 2008. And while work started in Backtrack 1.2, Saint, a vulnerability testing and penetration testing suite, and Maltigo, a platform for data discovery and forensics, was officially added, though Saint required a bit of extra work and sign-up to get functional. In 2009, a beta for Backtrack 4 was released in February of 2009, but it wasn't until almost a year later, on January 9th, 2010, that Backtrack 4 was actually released. Its release also brought with it BacktrackLinux.org, which was a dedicated site for hosting news, information, and downloads for all future versions of Backtrack. And unlike the versions before it, Backtrack 4 had two revisions, one in May and another in November. 2011, May 10th, Backtrack 5 dropped the Slacks base. And now, based on Ubuntu Lucid Links, that's 10.04 for those of you that may have missed the Ubuntu History episode. And it was fully GPL compliant with a code name of Revolution. And it's easy to see why. Like Backtrack 4 before it, Release 1 was released in August with new tools and bug fixes. And in 2012, Release 2 dropped in May with a custom-built 3.2.6 kernel with all the wireless injection goodies baked right in. And while Ubuntu-based updates were spotty at best up until this point, some new repositories were added to smooth that out and get updates to users faster. August 13th of 2012 saw Backtrack 5 Release 5 with KDE and GNOME ISOs and a VMware image. This would be the very last release of Backtrack ever. Because on January 22nd of 2013, a post on BacktrackLinux.org, named Kali Linux, a teaser into the future, appeared with the summary. What's happened in the past year? We've been quietly developing the necessary infrastructure and laying the foundation for our newest penetration testing distribution, as well as building over 300 Debian-compliant packages and swearing in eight different languages. 
These changes brought with them an incredible amount of work, research, and learning, but are also leading us down the path to creating the best and most flexible penetration testing distribution we have ever built, dubbed Kali. On March 13th, after deciding the things that needed to be done couldn't be done without restructuring everything, they just restructured. And with a shiny new development architecture, why not add a new base too? So the previous base of Ubuntu that Backtrack had used up until this point was shelved in favor of Debian Wheezy and a file system hierarchy standard compliant system. And with all that, Kali 1.0, named Moto, is released. So why Kali as the new name? They say, Hindu goddess of time and change? Philippine martial art? Cool word in Swahili? None of the above. Kali is simply the name we came up with for our new distribution. Why change the name in the first place? With all these significant changes in our distribution, we felt that we needed to convey this in the project name. Backtrack 6 didn't do justice to our efforts in the past year and wouldn't convey our new message to our users. What's the new message? We'll let you find out for yourself. It had 100,000 downloads in the first week. And with so many people jumping on board and over 300 tools to curate, a new branch of Kali, Bleeding Edge Kali, was released less than two weeks after Kali 1.0 to satisfy the folks that always needed the most up-to-date versions of all the packages. In September, using the Linux Deploy app in Android, Kali can also be installed on just about any Android device at the time. In January 2014, Kali gets a self-destruct button with version 1.0.6. Imagine this. You have an encrypted hard drive. The bad guy doesn't want to waste his time cracking a password, so he'll just coerce you to type in the password yourself. But instead of typing in the actual decryption password, you type in a nuke password. The encryption keys are destroyed and the data is safe and encrypted. You, on the other hand. And a few days later, Kali soars among the cloud, Amazon's cloud. Anyway, there are AWS images now of Kali. And in the following months, meta packages are introduced to help users install only what they need. That 300 tools is now much, much more. They also introduce virtual machine platform-specific images and EFI boot capabilities. And in September, Kali NetHunter was released as an open-source Android penetration testing platform for the Nexus line of devices, which in a lot of ways replaces the Linux Deploy app of 2013. In February 2015, and with the release of 1.1.0, the monumental shift from Backtrack to Kali is really showing its benefits from new ARM hardware support, NVIDIA Optimus hardware support, and easy upgrades with a simple apt-get dist upgrade. In May, Kali had even gotten itself containerized. Official Docker images were now available, allowing you to run a containerized Kali and its tools on any platform that could run Docker. It was also around this time that Kali made an appearance multiple times on Mr. Robot, the TV show based around an erratic cybersecurity engineer. 
another rebase in August that bumps Kali up to 2.0. This time, the rebase is simply from Debbie and Wheezy to Jesse, but also takes on the rolling distribution descriptor. From now on, Kali will sit on top of Debian testing, fully take advantage of GNOME 3 by default, XFCE as a light option, and support KDE, Mate, E17, LXDE, and I3WM. NetHunter also gets bumped to 2.0 and comes with support for the OnePlus One and Chromebook Flip. By October, Kali 2.0 had seen over a million downloads. So, it was time to kill off, once and for all, Kali 1.0. By January 2016, another shift. The rolling stance Kali took in 2.0 proved to work better than expected, prompting the switch to a year.release number version scheme. This was 2016.1, and like 1.0 and 2.0 before it, can simply upgrade to the newest version with a couple of commands. In August, 2016.2, is released along with specific versions of Kali with KDE, Mate, LXDE, E17, and XFCE, each with their own ISO. And to avoid the long update times on a fresh install with old media, the Kali Linux weekly ISOs are available. And they still are. And since the rolling style had still proven a smart choice, the 2.0 repositories are retired. You just don't need them. This is really when Kali hits its developmental stride and settles into a routine. The first release of 2017 was in April 2017.1. It brought with it the AC standard Wi-Fi support and better CUDA support on NVIDIA cards, making GPU cracking of most passwords trivial. In September, the second release, 2017.2, hit the shelves with new tools like apt2 and SSH audit. And November, saw 2017.3 with more tools, more updates, and new features like SMB 3.0 by default. In January of 2018, Kali finds its way into the Windows subsystem for Linux, and just like the Docker versions, allow running Kali and its native tools right from Windows. And the next month, 2018.1 makes its debut with Meltdown and Spectre mitigations. In April 2018.2. In August, 2018.3, and in September, WireGuard VPN support is official, and so is support for Vagrant, a virtual machine environment management system. And in October, the 2018.4 release with 64-bit Raspberry Pi support in beta. In 2019, Kali saw another four releases. 2019.1 in February with Metasploit 5.0, which hadn't seen a major revision since 2011. 2019.2 in May saw mostly fixes, but the NetHunter release reached the 50-device support milestone. In July, Kali was quick to support the new Raspberry Pi 4, and the App Store that the NetHunter editions used was made available to the wider Android community, rooted or not, so that they could sideload common security applications. In September, 2019.3 was released with a revamp of the meta packages, which caused some initial confusion. A Kali status page to show the status of various mirrors and servers, which you can still check out today, and a few helper scripts to get you around the system and get tools prepped faster. The Pinebook also saw support. 2019.4 saw its release in November and brought a cheeky little feature called Kali Undercover. It disguised your Kali installation 
in Windows 10 clothes. It even changed your terminal prompt to C colon. In addition to a pseudo Windows feature, the very real Windows PowerShell now had support as well. Finally, NetHunter got the ability to run as a desktop called Kex. Both Kali and Kali NetHunter Kex will now run on XFCE by default. And a few hours before the year was over, the default root login that was almost a hallmark of these types of distributions was laid to rest in Kali. For the next release, it'll act like any other distro. And a month later, in January 2022, with the release of 2020.1, the deal was sealed. No more root by default. The installation images were also simplified on x86 hardware with only an installer, a live, and a network image, which are the options that we see today. The ARM images were slimmed up, and a request was put out for community support for some of the lesser used ARM based hardware. NetHunter got the NetHunter, NetHunter Lite, and NetHunter Rootless options to match. In May 2020.2, KDE Plasma saw some love, and PowerShell is almost ready by default. In August 2020.3, Zish or ZSH goes into testing. NetHunter gets a ton of Bluetooth hacking tools, and support for high DPI screens is baked in. While other distributions needed instructions and tinkering, Kali's solution was either click a button or type a command, and you're done. In November 2020.4, Zish comes out of its cocoon and shows off a lot of the styling and auto completion we see today, with tons more tools and information upon opening up a terminal, giving some tips, tricks, and answering some frequently asked questions. In December and throughout its five season run, Kali Linux is spotted in the TV show Mr. Robot over and over again, which is a good watch, but read the back of the box first. <laughs> in February 2021, 2021.1, the command not found package is added by default for when a user attempts to launch a tool that isn't already installed. Command not found will direct the user on how to install it. NetHunter also saw some big updates, including a long overdue update of BusyBox. In April, my favorite website, kids.kali.org, was launched. The site said Imagine all of the same powerful tools used to launch complex attack simulations now in the hands of a preteen. And they ask Can a seven year old really crack a password hash or learn to blind SQL injection? Can a third grade master cryptography and stenography without being able to spell either one? Maybe not. But at least Terminal has fun pictures now. Yes, it was for April Fools and one of the best. It was a good one. In June 2021.2, saw the addition of Kali Tweaks, a text based UI to customize what's included in Kali and the most useful customizations like how Zish works and displays the prompt. Gidra. A reverse engineering tool developed by the National Security Agency of the USA was also first included in this release, as well as the open source version of VS Code, Code OSS. In September, 2021.3 was released with updates and new tools, of course, but also a full refresh of the Kali Tools website for digging up tools and finding their purpose. Also, a renewed focus on running Kali in a VM using the pre made appliances. There was also a new watch. A NetHunter smartwatch named Tick Hunter Pro. 
In December, 2021.4 brought support for Apple Silicon, sort of. The ISOs were meant to run within Parallels or the tech preview of VMware Fusion. And though there have been many theme changes up to now, the theme fixes and updates in this release are what we still see today. In February of 2022, version 2022.1 marks the first release that includes visual refreshes on a predictable cadence. Dot one versions will now always have a distinctive visual representation to give users a clue at a glance that things have moved on for the better. This will include wallpapers, login screens, installer themes, and boot menus. And just in case you were tired of installing the Kali-Linux-Everything package, there's now an Everything ISO, and it's huge. In March, to anyone running on bare metal and paying attention, it would be hard to miss the word Unkaputpa. The Kali folks slipped in better ButterFS support with snapshots, making Kali unbreakable or indestructible. All the snapshots were listed in the Grub menu just in case you needed them and used the Snapper GUI on the desktop. In May, 2020.2 brought Hollywood Activate, a screensaver launched manually or automatically that makes the terminal spit out all kinds of fun made-for-TV hacker stuff. Unkuputba is also made official and the desktops get major updates. In August 2022.3, focuses on the community with the Kali Linux and Friends Discord channel where devs will chat with all comers after every release of Kali. There was even a contest to show off how folks customize their Kali desktops during this release. They note that Matrix was an option, but they want to be where their users are. There's also the IRC channel if you're into that. And we're still waiting on 2022. Four. It's not out yet. And maybe, with it, a new contest, too. So you want to read the news that matters? As it unfolds, head on over to our subreddit or our news channel on Discord. linuxuserspace.show slash reddit for our subreddit and linuxuserspace.show slash discord for our discord. And we're also on Telegram, Matrix, and all the other chat platforms, too. You name it, we got it. Just find us. Just type in Linux user space into the Googles and, you yeah. know, maybe... Put a slash after it and the, then uh, you'll find something because I probably got a yeah. redirect for that. Yeah, tilt, tilt the search algorithms in our favor. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, come on over there and have a conversation with us and, uh, yeah, we'll chat about the new things that are happening. So, Dan, how did it go? How, how... I know you didn't want to do it. I did not. Well, I didn't want to... <laughs> All right, so I didn't want to promote this as a daily drive, okay. right? I do right. use this a lot. Oh, and more specifically, I use the tools that are in Kali a lot because mm -hmm. one of the things that, you know, as a system administrator or network administrator, there's a lot of things you want to do to get some visualization into what's going on on your network and in your systems. And you want to make sure they're not vulnerable to things that that are out there. So a lot of the tools that are included in Kali are, you know, mainstays probably in a lot of, you know, sysadmins toolbox. Um, so um, 
having I, I'll say this like so some of the tools that are in there are included in some commercial products that mm-hmm. you know which is cool and so we use those a lot but beyond that if you want to do a one-off test on something Kali's great because you can spin that up do your testing and then you know where you stand so that when it comes time for you know the automated testing to come through that you paid for um you know, you you aren't going to bomb it, or at least you hope you aren't. And it, <laughs> there you go. It, it'll catch the new things that come through as they develop. Yeah, a lot of these tools are very very helpful. I, we talked about some of this in in the pre-show. One of the ones that I'm surprised you hadn't heard of, but you hadn't, was um, it's it's kind of a silly little thing. It's not even really a penetration testing thing, but. Information gathering. It's information gathering. And if you want to know what's on the other end of that and how you get there, the tool to use for me is TCP Traceroute. Now, you've probably all heard of Traceroute and trying to, you know, get the information of the routers that stand between you and the thing that you're looking for. The thing about Traceroute, normal Traceroute, is it uses ICMP packets or ping you know, ping the same thing underneath ping. Um, it uses those. And there's, as someone that's security minded, and I know you are, Leo, mm-hmm. you, you probably tend to turn a lot of that sort of thing off so that you can avoid the denial of service type of attack that is potential. And, and we, we, we were talking about that, right? Yeah. We were talking about internet etiquette and the yeah. white paper that defined what you're supposed to do as far yeah, as ICMP packets reject go. Reject nice... or drop that or, you know. Yeah, I... the nice thing is you reject it with a message that says, I don't want to hear from you. Don't talk to me. Right. But I think the security conscious thing is to just block it, it and never give it a response, yep. right? Like... <laughs> so then, the, then you don't know that something's on the other end. So that happens a lot right. because you don't want to get overwhelmed with those requests. However, if it's something like a web server that is, you know, using a TCP port, you can mm. use TCP trace route and identify the port that you want to target and it will use TCP packets and to find out the routing path that it takes to get there. And sometimes that can be a little different than just a regular trace route anyway, especially if you got some load balancers in the middle of that and you want to see what you're hitting. I mean, so it, it's a very useful tool. It's a silly little thing, kind of small, but there it is. It's right there in Cali. That's one of the ones they talk about. Does that particular tool assume port 443 or I port I think it 80? does 80 by default, but you can identify mm-hmm. other TCP ports too. So if you were looking oh. at something that was like on 8443, for example, which is another right. another one that gets very popular because you're trying to secure, you know, use, but you're not running as, as a privileged user, potentially. Um, so oh, because you, you can't use lower than 1,000 without root privileges right. if you're like spinning up a web server or something right. like so that, if it's right? Running you have as to a go user, above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You can identify the port that you want to target, which is super helpful, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, you know. Anyway, that's a silly little thing. Like that one a lot. Um, and I, I, all right, so here's my segue into the documents. The documents that Cali provides are absolutely excellent because they document yeah, they all of the tools. And sometimes I use the documentation. Um, just to find out more about the tool 
um, even though I'm not running Kali at the time, right. or you know, I've installed something else, you know. So, well, it's 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 way deeper than what a man page would give you. Yes, a man page is going to define what each option does right. and everything else, but I think the the real benefit to what uh, Kali and its backing company, Offensive Security, really right. does is they go deeper than that. They do. They they uh, Offensive Security is a teaching type institution. Yep. That puts together amazing educational materials, and if you are even remotely interested in this stuff, that should be a place that you frequent to learn. There are forums that you can log into. There are people yep. that you can talk to that are very open to the noob questions. They do, right? They do. They answer those. They have to. I mean, because it sounds exciting, and so the noobs are attracted to it somewhat, right? Yeah. So, which is fine. There's paid education on yeah. top of that as well, right? But there's the there's the the I'm just curious about this and have a few questions about it uh, type folks that will swoop in and help you figure out if it's what you need to be doing or if it's something that you really are interested in instead of why wow, the the guy on the TV with the hoodie and yeah. all the stuff floating on his screen looked really cool. Yeah, this this line of work is a lot more boring than that, but. It is it is fun and puzzling at times and frustrating at times, but I guess I'm kind of describing IT as well, right? Like they, they, there's a huge overlap right. in everything that you do as a sysadmin versus everything you do as a security type admin. Right? Eh, titles are titles are meaningless, but right there, there's a huge overlap. Yeah, there in, is overlap. Well, everything. even if you're a regular sysadmin, you still want to make sure your thing is running to peak performance and not going to get, you know, you know, hacked. So even if you're not the security person per se, you still have to take a security mindset when you're building things oh, because you don't have a choice. You, you anymore can't avoid in the it. You can't avoid it in, in software development, in, in systems administration, in, in anything that touches those two massive branches of it, you don't have a choice. You have to take security seriously. Mm -hmm. You will very quickly learn why yeah. as soon as you put something out on the internet that is so important. Um, it it is it's quick now. I mean, yeah, uh, you'll get on pretty that, fast. Like, yeah. I mean, websites like Shodan and mm -hmm. other sites like it will you'll be on a list so fast, very quickly. I mean, they they got they got printers mm -hmm. and um, washing machines. On Shodan that you can just break into right now. Yeah, probably probably and set to default. Just log in with the default passwords and whatnot. And so Yes, very bad stuff. So the so password it's, password cracking to. tools that are built in there. Oh, I love that, these. Those are the ones that, that tell you like it'll hit all the easy targets first, right? Because it's gonna it's gonna do the admin admin, you know, and it's 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 they're in the table. They're, it's going to hit yep. those first, and so especially if you're using old versions mm -hmm. of whatever operating system you're using. That's it's old hashing, old encryption, yep. and that stuff will be knocked over. If, if your password's terrible, that stuff will be knocked over in seconds. And so you want to know not that. even with a GPU. Yeah, no, you want to know <laughs> that. You want to know that before you go releasing that to the wild. So right. So it. So yeah, I, I think I think what we're getting at is is Kali is a is a very useful distribution mm -hmm. to bolster your defenses because you're using the tools in Kali to be offensive 
to yourself, right? Yeah. To exploit the things that you That's the intended use. And so administer. let's hope you're doing that, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope so. I hope that's why you're using Kali. That is the only reason I would ever recommend anybody yeah. use Kali is because they're going to use those tools on a very regular basis. Yep. So I'll, I'll equate the documentation on the tools much like the Arch Wiki is for just regular system, you know, Linux system stuff, right? It and is. It's that it's good. It's that good. Yes. So I use that a lot. Um, I'll tell you the other tool that I, I've used a ton, which is also in Kali, is Nmap. If you <gasps> want to know what is on your network... You need to be able to kind of go out there and scan through and and do the ping sweep, but also maybe do an ARP sweep too to make sure that things are lining up. You want them you want to know what's on your network. You don't want things that you know you haven't allowed on there. And so those two things right there, I I, I think you yeah, together you can paint a pretty nice picture of what you've got. And, mm -hmm. um, I, that's, that's really important if you're in control of something that's has any size to it. Yeah. I, I think the biggest reason that, um, that I didn't end up stumbling across, uh, TCP traceroute mm -hmm. is because in map can do so much. And while it may not give me the hops in between mm -hmm. me and the target, um, in map certainly will and quietly. Yeah. Tell me whether or not there's something on the other end that is receiving TCP packets on any port. Yep. Take it slow. Try not to trigger, you know, any kind of uh, intrusion detection services or whatnot. Right, right. But um, that's the deal. And, and as you mentioned, all the way down to ARP sweeps. Yes. And in map, it's called a ping sweep. But it actually uses ARP because no device on your network can work without speaking ARP. So the yeah. in-map ping sweep is extremely valuable for those things that are good at blocking yeah, ICMP. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but this ARP sweep, the ping sweep in in-map, will pick it up mm -hmm. because you can't do networking without ARP. That's just the way that we've built these things. So uh, it, it is, it is in-map is my Swiss army knife and Kali is the reason that I can use InMap as well as I can yeah. today to figure out what the heck that thing is. What is this IP address on my network? I did an ARP sweep. There's a new one. What is this? I didn't tell anybody my Wi-Fi password. Why is this here? Right. And InMap can give you a lot of that. What's your host name? What's your what's your IP address? What ports do you got open? What are you what what type of information are you sending out? That kind of thing, and you can get a really good um, picture of what you're looking at, and you don't even know is it in your attic? Is it in this yeah. room or that room or wherever? If it's on the network, it's likely going to respond to something that InMap can do, and that was really the the catalyst that got me interested. Wait, so there's like data about my computer just being emitted yeah. all of the time? Right. How did I not know this? And, you know, when you find this out, the next logical question is, well, how much? Well, and then the next logical question is, well, how bad is it? And the next logical question is, how do I fix it? How this? do I fix it? Yeah. Yeah. And that 
takes you. And this is this is my favorite thing about Kali and the whole reason that I was pushing to do it is so I could talk about these things. But that progression is what I think a lot of folks that end up in cybersecurity go through and then you're your pants on fire at this point. People okay. think you're crazy. <laughs> you are absolutely paranoid. So even now I'm trying to hold it back, but there's so much that I want to tell people. Stop doing that. That so much yeah. that I, I've I've just picked this up little by little and more and more. And yeah, you do look like the crazy guy in the room. Um but eventually you gotta you gotta just move past it. But like you do. You you, you crack you do. the door open just a little bit there and then you're then you're into it another layer and then another Man, you're staring layer. Staring into the sun another at layer. that point. Yeah. And it'll hurt you if you stare too long. So mm-hmm. you gotta take what you can. You got to explain to people that will listen. You got to take those wins when you get them, but you can't go too far. You can't arch by the way it as far as you can't security by the way, because sometimes people just are not receptive to it. Right. And if they're not, let it go. Right. You got to let it go because otherwise you're going to be that guy and you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. The final tool that I would uh, say that I used a ton probably over the years is Wireshark. And so, oh yeah, because like you said, you want to know what what is this stuff that it's emitting, right? Now that I've found it, I've found out where <gasps> where it is or whatever. That's so true. Now I want to hear like what 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 is it doing? And so Wireshark is the savior in that. And learning the filters and stuff that are in Wireshark are kind of like the secret sauce, um, so that you can filter out the traffic to be what you're looking for and. Yep. And 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 just getting a better sense of what's happening on your network. Um, so I mean, those tools I've used a ton. You don't need Kali for them, um, but it is very handy that you can go from one to the next to the next, and then eventually get all of those. You know, get all of that information mm-hmm. just by using one distribution. So I, I and for me, like I don't need a, a bare you know, metal system to do that. Probably a VM is just fine and mm-hmm. you can deploy it somewhere, you know, and then, ha- you know, turn it on, use it when you need it, turn it back off, that sort of thing. I, I, and just call it on demand. Um, I, I find that to be the best way to go about it personally. Yeah. Kali as an appliance, yep. whatever you run that on in a VM, on a Raspberry Pi, right. hidden away, right. whatever, that I think I think that is that has always been the intention. It's be more than the, the intention. I think I just find it a better way to use it. Even like um, I don't need all that stuff hitting me in the face, you know, all the time. You know, exactly. for normal productivity. Um, and, and 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 for on on that particular point, but because I want to go back to Wireshark for a second, mm-hmm. but on that particular point, that's why you're supposed to use the net install. Yeah. And then use the meta packages to pull in only the tools that you need so you don't end up with this massively bloated system with 100,000 tools that you'll never, ever click on. Yeah. And, you know, by the way, when you click on them, it just opens a terminal and it runs it in the terminal for most for of most them of anyway. Them, yeah. yeah. But uh, but on the Wireshark thing, I wanted to talk about that mm-hmm. for just a minute and put your tinfoil hat on for a sec. Yep. Uh, because... This is another one of those things that you do to people that are, you know, just slightly interested in security and maybe slightly interested in in bolstering, you know, their their day-to-day security on their devices and everything else. 
just have them install Wireshark. Or you, if you're interested in that, install Wireshark on your machine and then just run it. Don't even do anything. Don't go anywhere. Don't even have any applications open. Just run it yeah. for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's interesting. It is mind-boggling mm. the amount of network traffic that your laptop or desktop spews out every second. Yeah, yeah. a lot of it you can and, explain away, makes sense, but there's some of right? it that it just makes you go, hmm, why is it doing that? Yeah, and then you run, you know, like a Windows box. I think Windows is particularly sure. egregious about it. It's it's worse, especially it's if you're, way worse. You're joined to a domain or something oh, like goodness. that because those things are chatty. They like they 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 want to talk to each other and uh, they they want to share information. They're made to do yep. that. They're you know yeah. that's that's what they they are supposed to do. So yep. I, and when you're just looking at the screen. It's all quiet. Yeah, there's nothing's nothing. happening. It's all in the background. But the entire time, just traffic spewing all over the place. Mm-hmm. And as you get better at reading what, what this stuff is, you can kind of, oh, okay, that's yeah, whatever. fine, that's yeah. fine, that's fine. But yeah, <laughs> as, as Dan's saying, I mean, some of that stuff, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is. And you can't really tell what that yeah, is without right. going in deeper with Edercap or something like that and right. like stripping off the HTTPS certificate and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff because it's all encrypted. Um, you got to do some real work to figure out what that is. And, you know, again, when you find out what that is, it's like, oh, okay, that, that wasn't that big a deal either. But still, it it's just, it's eye-opening, I think. Um, yeah. No, it definitely is. Just exactly what happens. Uh, and especially when you open up a browser. How many? Ooh, Th- that's, that's my favorite thing about Wireshark. I love showing people this. When you go to a website, yeah, you don't resolve a domain. Oh, you no. resolve 30 or 40 or 50 and 49 of those domains are advertisers. Yeah, it, it, it's pulling in assets from all over the place. Yeah, no, it's, it, yeah. And that's the entire premise of, of ad blockers like Piehole. They, they act on those 49 and let the one through. Hopefully. So, oh, man. <laughs> but I'll, I'll stop mm-hmm. uh, and talk specifically about Kali for a minute. Sure. Um, because, my God, I could just tinfoil hat all day. I promise. I Get me in a Discord chat. I promise we'll do it. Okay, so I will say, though, um, I wanted to look at Kali as a daily driver. I know that you shouldn't. I know that Kali recommends that you shouldn't. Multiple times, they discourage using Kali as a daily driver, and they kind of, but you select few that want to do it. You know, we're not going to tell you not to, but, you know, for people that don't know what they're doing, don't. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to look at it from that perspective. And so diving into it as a regular old distro, it installed like any old Debian distro yep. does. Um, it is Debian underneath with, you know, tweaks here and there to the kernel and other bits. Um, I did an apt full upgrade as they recommend to get everything right. uh, updated. Uh, it got to 87% on the download and just stalled. <laughs> I don't know what happened there, but um, control C and then running it again, it picked back up, unpacked, installed everything. So just a weird little apt fumble. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> and then, but but I, I guess the most important thing is that like Kali uses only Kali repositories yes. by default. Yes. But but in the Kali repositories, you will find two things that was the reason that I questioned whether or not Kali should, would, could, might be a daily driver. And those two packages are Flatpak and Snap. Both are available and very current, might I add, in the Kali repository. So installing those enables you to install 
everything. Yeah, pretty much. It's game Any, over. Whatever there, right? you want. Yeah. You want you want to run your Apple Music? You could do that. You want to uh, run the bleeding edge Firefox? You can do that. You want to run the regular Firefox? You can do that because Kali comes with ESR. Be aware. But the current ESR, it's not yeah, no, behind it's, or anything. No, it's fairly recent. But you want to record your desktop with OBS? You can do that too. You want to use Peak? You can do that. You want whatever you want between flat and flat. Uh, between Flatpak and Snap, you got it, man. Yeah, that that really does cover everything. And then the repositories on top of that. So, I mean. Right. Yeah. Speaking of the repositories on top of that, normally I install Snap so that I can get an easy installation of BTOP, mm-hmm. formerly BPytop, formerly BashTop. But right. BTOP, eh, but Kali packages it. So I didn't need didn't to actually need install Snap. And so I didn't I didn't go down that rabbit hole, but I did go down the Flatpak rabbit hole. And everything works. It's just Debian testing. Yeah. So if you were running Debian testing, quite likely going to be the exact same experience that I had. Yeah, makes sense. So I didn't, uh, it's running on XFCE. I was running on XFCE. Dan, I suppose. Yeah, did I did the same. too. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes with by default. And yeah. and so that's fine. Although all the, it, it they give you instructions on how to install all of the other yes. desktop environments. It's even an option in the installer. You, if you could just do it want in the to installer. install those other yeah, desktops no. instead. But, of course, there's a meta package for it if you want that. Um, but it, it 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 far exceeded my expectation as a daily driver desktop. I think some of the recent changes, right? So they they they're rootless. Um, yes, I, I, that was a big one. That's a big deal. That's the one that holds everybody back, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but so you can always make a user and, and grant it the correct privileges and things like yeah, that. You have to but do it yourself, no, right? No one's, no one's trying to do that. Yeah, no, no, no one's no, nobody's got that. time for that. And so I think that's that's a big change that sort of allowed this. I guess there's some things that you know maybe you don't want there. I don't know. I mean, but yeah, I think the fact that you can use Flatpak and Snap and get all the regular applications on top of the penetration testing applications, um, I. Yes, I guess you got me there. You you could use it as a daily driver, but I'm, okay, I'm not going to recommend it. I'm just not. You're not you're not happening. So that that brings me to my final word on this, which is uh, final words. Yeah. So can Kali be used as a daily driver? Yeah. I I if can, you're yes, crazy yeah. enough to do it. And and I need to stress the crazy modifier. Yeah. As a daily driver, you know, using it in a professional capacity, I get that. But as a daily driver, crazy is the word I would use. If you're crazy enough to do it, start with the net installer. Right. And add what you need. Not everything. As you need it. Right. Don't go for the everything package. Don't just whack 10 gigs onto your install because, ooh, these tools look <laughs> cool. Use collitools.org. Find the cool tools that you want and bring them in. But even then, I would still recommend using it on a secondary device and not your primary device. So should Kali be used as a daily driver? I'm going to say no. No, I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to recommend. Yeah. I don't think so. Not on your laptop that you're taking out to McDonald's. No. Don't. Not that machine. Will I keep using Kali as a daily driver? Sort of. I have a spare Raspberry Pi, and I do like network security oh so much. Mm-hmm. And Kali has specific um, installers for the Pi. They do. So, yes, in this capacity, 
in a secondary machine, something that is automated every now and then and emails me a report. Yeah, because that is what Kali was always meant to be. It was always meant to be a platform that you use to launch investigations and attacks and penetration tests so that you can use that information that you glean from it to make your network and network security better. That is, I think, what Kali is for, and I think the Kali folks agree. So use it like that. And you've got me in agreement there as well, Leo. I think, like you said, great appliance. It's something... If if you're you know into this in a professional sort of sense, or you're just goofing around on your own home network, your network, learn subnetting first. Yeah, v- VLANs VLANs are nice too, so that you when, can when you realize you accidentally scanned the internet. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, it gets real. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do that. When, when the guys in the in the dark, you know, SUV with black <laughs> suits show up. You might have went too far. Um, yeah. But if you want to learn more about your own network um, or you, you're working in a professional environment, have an appliance where this can you can use this. I think like even for me, like, a, you know, LexD container is kind of handy. Yes. Docker, Docker WSL. Container, WSL, all of those tick the box for me. And I feel like those are kind of handy to have around if you were you were doing this on a daily. So maybe yep. you don't use it as your daily driver, but you may use it on a daily. So, I mean, I'm okay with that. Listen, I know about half of you listening have a Raspberry Pi yeah. in a drawer somewhere not getting used. And so when you're not when you're done with it, like put it back in the drawer. Yeah, unplug it. Be be like look around, decide if you like this cybersecurity thing, and if you don't, throw it in the drawer. If you do, learn first. Right. Act second. Right. <laughs> and it, it, well, like, here's the thing, if you've got like two Raspberry Pis, you could set up some services on one of them. And, oh and then, you goodness. know, do some learning. Now you're getting fun. Yeah. So like you got, you build a little small network and then you can do some things um, in your mock network um, and learn all sorts of stuff that way. There are also exploitable Linux and Windows versions yeah. out there. Uh, Metasploitable was one. I don't, I don't know if they still actively develop, but it's know. still a really cool learning tool to like pretty much Anything that you choose in Metasploit will work. Right. Um, so it's it's really cool to see, like, ah, yeah, I actually popped a shell on that box. Right. That's cool. Um, Again, don't put know, that on the internet either. So, Good God, don't do that. <laughs> it won't take. Local network only. Like, and if you don't know what the difference is, you got to learn that first. Just get a crossover cable. You can't get that any more local great way to right there. You can't, actually. Yeah. A switch not connected to the internet. Perfect. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, but yeah, like that's, these are great ways to learn and uh, just, you know, keep yourself safe. Hey, and if you want to know more about us and our show, you can get all the links over at linuxuserspace.show. And, you know, you want to get your email in on a feedback episode, which, you know, it's coming up soon. You're going to want. You can email us, contact at linuxuserspace.show. Speaking of next time, ooh, we're all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, we're not done. We got 10 more episodes to go, so there's definitely a next time. There is a next time. 
And so next show is a topic and feedback show. We do plan to put a pause on like our app history. We've been covering, we covered, you know, text editors and the CLI um, and all sorts of history on them. So we're going to put a little pause on that so we can focus a little more on awesome topics and feedback things and catch a little breath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that, well, you know, I won't say no to it a little breath, but, um, and it'll give me more time to figure out what kind of app history right. you want to hear about. Yeah, where do we want to go next? So, specifically, if you've made it this far into the show <laughs> that you're actually listening to the housekeeping and didn't actually like 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds till they start talking about something cool again. <laughs> you are who I'm talking about because you, I think, are the linchpin to this show. Without you, the show kind of doesn't really make sense. So you that are listening right now, what kind of apps do you want to hear about? Is it a year old? Is it 10 years old? Is it 100 years old? Was it created in the primordial ooze of, of Unix? Mm -hmm. And if it was, do you want to hear about what, the, what color the primordial ooze was? Because if you do, I need a list. Tell me what you want to hear about, and I'll spend 30 days, okay, maybe 30 days a couple digging of weeks it anyway. up and figuring it out you know, <laughs> at least a couple of weeks yeah okay so yeah 14 days <laughs> 14 days figuring it out and then when uh you know the procrastination kicks in i'm like oh god you know but whatever you know um you know, we'll get the history done just like we've done every episode up to this point but i do want to hear from you i really do it is extremely important that i know what you want to hear about so tell me in the reddit in the Matrix, in the Telegram, in the Discord, in uh, the Mastodon, the Twitter, the the all the places, Instagram, yeah. the wherever, yeah. right on the YouTube comments, even I don't. It on doesn't. The, yeah, that works too. How did I forget we had a YouTube? A the YouTube, yes. Anywhere, drop me a comment. Drop Dan a comment. Tell me, tell Dan, what do you want to hear about next? Um, and then that's that's what we'll dive into. Yeah, we will. So. We gotta talk about actual next time. Yes. Oh, I for um. How did I? Well, the actual I, next distro. Sorry, I almost we forgot about that entirely. Leo, we we spent an hour before the show started trying to figure that out, and here I am at the end of the show, and I forgot what we did for the first hour. Yeah, that was an hour. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we doing? What what? What what have we gotten ourselves into this time? So I know you're into the spooky season. And on spooky day, there was a distro that was released. It was a little quiet, I guess. But in honor of that, I think we should do Linux Lite. <gasps> Wait a minute. Linux Lite is the spookiest Linux distro Guess so. of all time, question mark? They didn't spin it that way, but, you know, sure. I feel like... Of all the distros that we have done, I would have noticed a release on Halloween Day or All Hallows Eve. Wait, is All Hallows Eve the 30th? I don't know. Whatever. Listen, I like spook. I like spooky. Mm -hmm. The whole entire month is cool. Mm -hmm. But the 31st, I don't know of any other distro that has released a release on the 31st. Prove me wrong, internet. Prove me wrong. I guess that's I another you. research topic for a later date. <laughs> 
I has there. We're not going there now. <laughs> anyway, so they released their latest one, um, 6.2, I think, um, on Halloween, which is really only a few days ago. So uh, it can't get any fresher than that, right? I mean, that's hot off the press. That pumpkin is not even wilted and nope. decomposing yet. It's not ready for pie. You No, Mm-mm. it's still fresh. I'm ready for it. Linux light. Let's go. Let's do it. And so that's what we're going to do for the month. Should be good. Leo, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, you know, the old at Leo Chavez on the Twitter and the at Leo Chavez at Mastodon.social because people are flocking that direction right now. Yeah, they are. For some reason. I don't know why. And so I'm at KC2BEasy on Twitter as well. And also at KC2BEasy at Mastodon.social. Uh, recent mm. change, you, you know. Listen to the last episode. You'll 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 Don't catch up on that. Don't forget about the recent change. You gotta yep. you gotta get on the new one. On the, I mean, if you're already following him, you don't have to, but you know. Yeah. Otherwise. So yeah, on the Mastodon social as well, and uh, yeah, have a lot of fun. So all of I, I've I've been getting you know requests for followers a lot lately. Oh, you do have it set that way to approve I the followers. Do I don't know. I've thought about that both ways, but. I do. Listen, close the DMs, open the follows. Okay. I think that, you know. I mean, or if you're, if you're really adventurous, just open the DMs too. And then, you know, enjoy the toxicity. <laughs> I wasn't really trying to encourage that, so, you know. Okay, yeah, tamp down. I got you. I do like all my followers, so that's that's pretty great stuff. See, you got approved, though. So, you know Dan likes you at that Absolutely. Point. Been through the approval process. Anyway... Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space.